When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ridiculous welcome friends to perfect stranger things the weekly dance of joy for your eardrums today steve and i cover the monster don't let the title of this episode fool you this is a tremendous episode for the kids dustin and lucas are fantastic in this episode it's just an amazing episode for the relational components And if you've been waiting for Steve and I to do a deep dive into Eggo Waffles, yes, that happens this episode too. At the end of the episode, I include an excerpt of our Cocoons of Horror discussion relative to 16 Candles. But before we jump onto the nostalgia train, let's hear a word from our conductor, Mr. Wilford Brimley. You got a story in here. This is the damn story you ever read. Tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna sit right here and talk about it. Now we'll talk all day if you want it. It's the right thing to so do. So I was thinking about the props and the costuming of this show, Steve. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that like especially grabbed you like, oh, I had that or that was me. I wore that. Um, I mean, definitely. I mean, like when it comes to toys, like anything, anything Star Wars related for sure. Um, bad hair for sure. Well, I was going to say I basically had Will Byers bowl cut. Yeah, no, that's that that you had it for a while. You just sort of owned it, like kind of like you were like Joey Lawrence forever. Even these days, I, I'll put on a wig just to remind myself who I really <laughs> am. So, any clothing or hairstyles or anything that sort of like, yeah, that was I had that exact. Um, I mean, brown corduroy, please. <laughs> you are a corduroy kid. I couldn't tell you a lot about my pants as a child. Uh, I sounds, I mean, I don't know who could, uh, but like, there's a certain point where like you become pants aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, <laughs> yeah, the only pants I can really say that, that I remember like having an affinity for were my Brown corduroys. In fact, I wore my Brown corduroys until the knees wore through. And that was a thing, right? Like, I mean, it's funny how, uh-huh. Yeah, our knees were hanging out all the time. Right. And so when you start seeing clothes that are like, oh, they already have holes in them, it's like, yeah, that's awesome. I don't have to wait. Well, for us, it was great because we went from sort of being poor 70s kids who just naturally had holes. Right. To 80s kids where it's like, holes are kind of cool. So it was like. <laughs> I mean, we would go everywhere with yeah. our knees hanging out. <laughs> our knees were constantly exposed. What a different time, you know. Like we were wrapping sweaters around our waist with our oh, knees. I don't know about out. you, but after those knees got too bad, they they would become jean shorts. 
Oh, for sure. So those chords, like those, those, I mean, like my mom was like, you got to throw those out. And I was like, but the majority of the corduroy is fine. <laughs> it's funny that you said that. Okay. So how old are you when you like these corduroys? Cause I was probably in that like seven, eight range. Okay. There you go. Because by the time I was about 10, I, you couldn't, I wouldn't be caught dead in corduroys. There was like a thing against shopping at Kmart and corduroy for in at, oh, yeah. at my school. I don't know what your school. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah. So I I used to think that corduroy was like cord space o apostrophe space roy, like they were Roy's cords. <laughs> They they were the they cords were cord. of Roy, right? Like there's the chicken o the sea, cup o noodles, cord o Roy. <laughs> so that I thought that those that the 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 lines were cords. Uh huh. It makes sense. And like maybe either Roy was the inventor or he was generous enough to lend them to me. <laughs> Yeah, that's really. So I mean, I just assumed. I mean, I I remember at a certain age when I saw it, I was like the word. I'm like, oh, it's like a word. (laughs) It's a word that, and 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 still because it was so ingrained, even to this day, like if you were to say, well, corduroy, what does corduroy mean? Well, it's well, it's like you know those cords (laughs) that that go (laughs) up and down your pants. Well, we just just, call them cords. Sure. Well, yeah, because I mean, I should just call them Roy's because that's really (laughs) give respect. You put out the effort. But you were a cord guy. I didn't know that. Well, just that was that time period. I mean, that was a time period. And those were the only pants that I had really a real like relationship with and i was really upset when they had to go and i but like i couldn't tell you what replaced them i don't think it was even other court i don't know i mean it was probably jeans but who knows i mean i have no idea I, I, for all i know we were so poor i was wearing like those plastic halloween costumes all mm-hmm. the time like i mean <laughs> i have no idea i don't remember much of my pants i do remember <laughs> that should be the name of this podcast <laughs> i don't remember much of my pants but here's what I do remember. It's crazy what you here's do remember. Here's what I do like remember. Pants, pants mattered not to us. At least once a year, I would have pants so tight. That <laughs> they were probably like two sizes too short. And then my parents were just trying to stretch it out one more month. Because yeah. they could just wait till Christmas or my birthday, I'd get new pants. I love that. I love the idea that pants, are, we cared so little about them, but they were a gift. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, our parents just hated us, right? Like, just wear them until your knees fall out. And then what we're going to do, we're going to, as a gift to you, mm-hmm. uh, finally be good parents. I was probably wearing girls' clothes most of the time because two older sisters. Right. You know, so you get the hand-me-down every now and then, which is fine yeah, if see, it's like jeans, I guess. My mom was, was big on garage sales, so I don't. I probably wore everything that was worn anywhere in the neighborhoods. <laughs> By somebody else. So yeah, my yeah. hand-me-downs was everybody's hand, like everybody's clothes. So you were wearing my sister's clothes too. <laughs> exactly. I was probably buying your jean shorts when they were finally ready. <laughs> shirts were a big deal. Shirts were a big deal, like my Incredible Hulk shirts. I remember, I remember having like Incredible Hulk or Spider-Man shoes. That was a really mm-hmm. big deal. And I'm sure those things were also from Kmart and fell apart immediately. But like, do you ever have a mesh T-shirt? 
Oh, like uh, that? Do you mean like mesh? Like, hey, it's kind of like a football jersey yeah. that's made of mesh versus like, hey, it's, this is from the movie Cruising with Al Pacino kind of mesh. Yes, we're we're dealing with a both and situation here. <laughs> I did, um, and I never wore it. I did. I had a mesh shirt. It had zippers, oh. and you could see right through the thing. It was okay. dark so, green. It was dark green. It was sort of like a so camouflage you were, pullover. You were a little gay boy. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> it was great. Kind of it was so cool. <laughs> you would, your garage sales were in the Castro. <laughs> well, I did already tell you that I... I would wear a, a captain's hat from time to this time. This is incredible. Yeah, no, that's uh, <laughs> this picture's coming together pretty great. I like how corduroy was a problem for you. <laughs> You're in your like, too tight of pants, your mesh shirt with zippers, and a captain's hat. <laughs> not at, not all at the same time, but what a waste! What a waste! <laughs> if I could have just put it all together, I needed someone to tell me like. Wear this with that, then you have the look. <laughs> yes. And how great were um, puffer jackets that you could unzip the sleeves of? Oh, fantastic. I mean. But once those sleeves came off, you were going to lose them. Oh, yeah. You, you'd have one sleeve. <laughs> well, Steve, I've identified nine storylines. Oh, I thought that was all we were going to talk about. And uh, so I've got a 10-sided die here, and the Goocher is in place. The Goocher is a zero. Wowzers. So I'm going for it. That's a lot of storylines. Got ourselves a nine. Mm. All right, so here we go. Nine is Karen Wheeler. Oh. (laughs) This is yours. Mm -hmm. This is yours. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I guess. Karen Wheeler. Karen tries to get Nancy to come down for breakfast. She uses a bobby pin, like a super hot sleuth, to open up Nancy's bedroom door. Nancy's gone, but Karen remains as hot as ever with her fair faucet <laughs> hair and her Deborah Winger eyes. So that's it. That's the whole thing with uh, Karen. Uh, so it's really not a, a storyline so much as it is you just wanted to just talk about her a little bit more. She was in the show. I don't see why we shouldn't talk about her. <laughs> I love how it's like we're going to get a nine and a gooch and everyone's going to be like, you know what? I tuned into episode six recap just to hear about Anthony's odd ensemble as a child and his continued uh, flame that he's fanning for, for Karen Wheeler. It's it's not going away. It's not going away at all. His knees were out the entire episode. That's how. <laughs> all right. I'm rolling it. This is a five. A five is Lucas. Lucas argues with Mike and Dustin about what to do next. He will shake with Mike on the condition that Mike forgets about L. Mike refuses. Lucas declares that Eleven is a traitor, a weirdo, and will never be part of the group. He puts on his nom gear and rides off to find the gate. Lucas finds that his compass points beyond the fence to Hawkins Labs. He climbs a tree and spies on the place. He sees a fleet of white vans leaving, and he senses danger. Steve, I want to talk a little bit about Nom Gear. Please. There was this mystique to anything that looked like it might have been in Vietnam. 
And I don't know about you, but playing war was a big part of my childhood. Yeah. And, you know, even if you weren't playing war, you wanted that nom gear. Like, I would go to the flea market and I would like, I would look for it. I would want anything that looked like it might have been in Vietnam. And I think Lucas has that same affinity for the nom gear. He's he's definitely putting on the bandana and, you know, gearing up. Well, he's got yeah, the binoculars. That, that bandana, the bandana moment. I don't know how often you put on a bandana, but there's only one way to put it on, and that is aggressively. <laughs> that is to grab both ends and pretend your back is more muscular than it is, arms completely fanned out, and then tight. That every time you put on a bandana like that, you're Rambo. You become Rambo. Absolutely. That's the only way to do it. And I think that that might have been that was that in like the Rambo trailer that he would put, or maybe it was like a uh, second Rambo. It's a, yeah, it feels like there was a montage. And yeah, well, so Rambo's okay, you know. And while we're having this conversation, I think we've had this conversation in another podcast because it's really a problem with me. But you have first blood. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And then you have Rambo, First Blood Part 2. I'm with you. What comes next? Rambo 3. Rambo 3. Where was Rambo 2? Well, there was a Part 2. No, there was First Blood Part 2. Rambo, it should go First Blood, Rambo, First Blood Part 2, Rambo 2, First Blood Part 3. Of course. And what's the fourth one? Mm -hmm. Rambo. What's going on? Well, <laughs> Rambo three, Rambo three. If you want to keep the name, that's this fine. A, you get to call sort it Rambo of a, three. A George Lucas genius move here because <laughs> at some point we are going to get Rambo part two. And it, well, Rambo three should have been Rambo three. Search for Rambo two. <laughs> <laughs> the great thing about the bandana is that it is the accent. It's like the punctuation mark. At the end of all of the accessories, you don't put it on first. You get your boots on, you're going to fasten your knife into your belt, whatever. Whatever you need to do, the bandana knot comes last. Because that aggressive tightening of that knot means I'm ready for war. That's what it means. Yeah, that is it. It's what, to get sweat out of your face? Is that the idea? Well, it's just camouflage your forehead, I think. Just the forehead. <laughs> Wear a hat, maybe. <laughs> Camel hat on that. No. It's interesting. Like the, the 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 getting ready for war montage is is always magnificent, right? I mean, Commando has one, but I don't think he puts the bandana on. But he's definitely like he's putting on the. He's got that face paint the, for the sure. Face, the face yeah. paint. Beautiful. I like to think of a montage of you just forcing yourself into some too tight jeans, zipping up your mesh shirt, throwing mm-hmm. your captain's hat on. I do like that, Lucas. <laughs> I do. I do like that Lucas does the whole montage where he puts on the bandana because he's going it alone. He's yeah. ran, he's going Rambo. He's going. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. left his crew behind, his platoon or whatever, and he's like, "I have to go get justice by myself, or it's not going to happen." Right, because he because he feels that like the mission's compromised. So he is the mission now. Yep. He's the only one that seems to understand what's at stake, and he's willing to to go it alone if he has to. So, really beautiful Rambo moment where he he's a man he's a man apart. Lucas is. Yeah. I don't like to see the boys split up. Hurts my feelings a little bit, but I think it was a, it was pretty worth it just to see the Rambo montage. 
Well, and it's a good, I mean, it's, it really adds that richness to the, to the character development and everything and understanding where, you know, where loyalties, I mean, like I said, we've talked last time about kind of the idea of getting older means you start to shed certain relationships. And it's like, Lucas is concerned that, you know, like on some level, Hey, he's more interested in girls. We've already lost Will. So, but, you know, and what does he do rather than preserve it? And just say, okay, let's, he just says, fine, I'm, I'll do it without you. And I think that that's, I mean, it's all well, it part could of be and, that. And, I mean, it could be that another sort of leaning into that transition point. Or, I mean, how many times in our childhood did we have a really good friend that, you know, we are just totally pissed at? We didn't talk to him for a week or whatever it was. Right. Or even a couple hours. And it was a big deal. It was a big deal because it was, you know, you're, you had a disagreement and the the result of the disagreement was that we will no longer be friends. I mean that that was a pretty big staple of my childhood. Yeah, I mean because that was the current. That's like all we had. That's the only currency we really had to cash in. No, things are going to blow up. You're going to get right in the person's face. You're going to blow the thing up. You're going to say exactly what you're thinking, and it probably will result in two hours to two weeks of silence or whatever. Yeah, and you'll be miserable all the time. Okay, exactly. I'll shake. On one condition. We forget the weirdo and go straight to the gate. Then the deal's off. Fine! Fine! No, no, not fine. Guys, seriously? Do you even remember what happened on the Bloodstone Pass? We couldn't agree on what pass to take, so we split up the party, and those trolls took us out one by one, and it all went to shit, and we were all disabled! So we stick together, no matter what. Yeah, I agree. But this is the party right here in this room. Elle's one of us now. Um, no, she's not. Not even close. Never will be. She's a liar, a traitor. She was just trying to keep us safe. She didn't mean to hurt you. It was an accident. An accident? An uh, accident or not, admit it. It was a little awesome. Awesome? Yeah, she threw you in the air with her mind. I could have been killed. Which is exactly why we need her. She's a weapon. Do you seriously want to fight the Demogorgon with your wrist rocket? That's like R2-D2 going to fight Darth Vader. We're no use to whale if we're dead. If you two want to waste your time looking for a traitor, go ahead. Because I'm not spending my time on her anymore. No way. I'm going to the gate. I'm going to find Will. <laughs> I'm going to roll this thing. We have an eight. Eight is Eleven's flashback. So I've divided Eleven into two different storylines here. Eleven flashes back to the day that she made contact with the creature. She remembers using the tank to travel to the astral plane in her mind. She touches the monster, freaks out, and screams open the gate with her mind. Did this ring any bells for you? Did this aspect of the show recall any pop culture moments for you in your childhood or films or television shows? You mean like that? Just the contact of the opening of the uh, the gate with yeah, the... I guess I guess the the whole astral plane part of it with the sort of the empty soundstage walking through the water and all of that business. Yeah, I mean it. it, it I, I guess it, it, I'm having a hard time thinking of any. Particular... I think this is a, a somewhat original aspect of the show, which I appreciate. It might be right. Yeah, because it kind of feels like I feel like. Yeah, it it make it made so much sense, and and it's and maybe it was so like it, it it felt so right. It felt like it could have been derivative, right? And I think that this show is pretty great at doing these conscious homages. But I think that if that's all it was, it wouldn't have its own 
thumbprint. Right. Then it would just be sort of a pastiche. So to speak. And it's interesting to me that they basically found that with this very, very low budget solution. You know, it's just like a it's a black sound stage and she's walking through water. And that that's basically it. I guess the moon landing. <laughs> that could that could have been it. Yeah, that would that yeah. Okay, I got a question for you about this. So we find out that L is able to rip open time and space to a gate between dimensions with her mind. So if she can do that, do you think in future seasons we might see like portals to different places or time travel or I mean if she can do that with time and space you can kind of do anything you want with this show. It does sort of set a precedent, right? And it's an interesting way to do it because they, by not doing it right away, you give yourself the option later to be like, oh, well, I guess I guess it was there the whole time. Well, and we know that in the next season, season four, we're going to have Hopper in Russia. So right. how do the kids get to Russia? We also have some kids in Southern California. Are we going to see this sort of a, I don't know, Stargate kind well, of yeah, thing? Is that how they get to each other? Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if they go that direction because I'm trying to imagine like what's a realistic scenario for like the kids breaking out of, you know, hopper out of the gulag. It's hard to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So I guess, I guess that would give you the, yeah, I the, the option to bend a little bit when it comes to, you've already bent reality. Right. I think that because they set this up, in the way that they did with season one, you could really do a lot, a lot with that premise. But of course, the danger there is if you go too far afield and give L too many powers, it'll lose its initial flavor, right? Because I think maybe to your point, it, it does such a good job of kind of keeping you connected to this supernatural in a way that not necessarily plausible, but it's a slow burn mm-hmm. and you're like, all right, okay. I'm you, you're willing to, to suspend a certain amount. Right. And, and so then if it becomes like, Oh, well now we'll just do whatever. Now we're going to go to the, go to the moon or whatever. It's like, all right, you know, it's, it, it, it would be a tough one. Okay, I'm going to roll it. Number seven is L present day. This yeah. is nice. We can do L on long fell swoop. 11 wakes up in the woods and angrily screams at her reflection in the lake. She finds her way to the grocery store, steals some Eggo waffles, and wrecks the place on her way out. When she sees Mike falling off a cliff, she levitates him, breaks a bully's arm, and scares them off. She tells Mike and Dustin that she opened the gate, and apologizes, and the three children hug. Do you, what do you want to talk about first? you want to talk about the levitation or the Eggos? <laughs> Because I, I can talk about either. <laughs> um, let's go Eggos. I love the Eggos, and I'll tell you why. The one thing we knew about Eggos growing up is that people were going to try to steal them. Every morning at this time, Dad puts one of those great Eggo waffles in the toaster. And I'm always the last to get one. Until today. Hey, let go of my Eggo. I mean... I'm surprised that Egos are not in locked cabinets with high-end liquor. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> you got the the Egos locked up behind the the liquor and the ammunition, <laughs> right? And you just assume. I mean, as a kid, you're like, well, these must be hard to get. 
Because if you know somebody with them. Well, it's because these commercials, every iteration of the commercial, and there were probably a dozen different iterations of the Ego commercial, but in every commercial, someone was going to try to steal a, an Ego waffle, and the other person was going to say, Lego my Ego. Right, and unlike the Noid, which is a, you know, a demon whose sole purpose is to ruin or take your pizza... Yeah. Egos would bring out the Noid and all well, of it. Well, you could avoid the Noid if you tried, but the people that were going to steal your Ego waffles... Closest people to you, the people with access, that's the that's It the was going to be your older brother or sister, it was going to be your younger brother, it was going to be your, 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 your dad. I've seen the dad just take it right from his child. Pops out of this toaster and he's just hand on it. The other, hey, Lego my Ego. It's like... I mean, you have to. When something happens so frequently, you have to have a catchphrase. Mm-hmm. You got a problem. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> Lego Diego is was the stop the steal before any of that ever happened. I was just gonna say that in elsewhere in this episode, we learned that the CIA is experimenting with LSD. They really should have put some research into these egos. It right. really is having these mind altering effects on just people who want to eat breakfast. Yeah, LSD is a problem, but I mean, in terms of addictive properties and what you'd be willing to do for it, egos by far. <laughs> well, also, the ego waffle, if you've ever had a real waffle, it's not great. It has no. to have something in it to make you want to keep coming back. <laughs> right. The ego waffle is to waffle as, I guess, what the cup of noodle is to, like... Nice ramen. Mm-hmm. Or the McDonald's salad is to salad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get it. Or the McRib is to meat. <laughs> okay, I'm going to roll it. Oh, one thing about the levitation, yeah. I think that's important. Um, I think it's a it's a great moment because I think we see L because L is a destructor. Right. She protects with destruction. This is the first time I think we see her ability to use powers for like actual restoration and like, like, I mean, obviously she breaks an arm right after, but like, but the idea being that like, look, uh, she can, she's, she's got more tools. She's not just a weapon. Sure. Se. Yeah. But I, but that's kind of the perception and that's kind of, the, that makes you nervous. Right. Cause I think we talked about how, you know, does she have full control of her powers? What is she capable of? And, and maybe she can't like, like, can she manage it? And so we did see a little bit, like, obviously it was violent with the arm breaking, but she didn't kill but him. Even, yeah, even with the arm breaking, it was like, can she, does she know how to not snap people's necks? Right, and then, In right, this episode, right. yeah, we've learned, yeah. Yeah, she knows how to, like, yeah. focus it so right on the arm that's holding the knife. Yeah, so she's got, so she definitely has, she, she's got a, a more nuanced bag of tricks. So that's So that's kind of an important element. The other thing that I noticed in the previous, in the flashback with Elle, is that Dr. Brenner gives her a plan. Like, he he walks into a room, he says, today we're going to make history. And he gives her a little potted plant. That kind of recalls for me a little bit of E.T. Yeah, that's, yeah, there's a lot of E.T. dies, you know, the the plant dies, and then E.T. comes back to life, and the plant comes back to life. Right, and he can, and he heals the plant. So that might, that might actually fit with that theme of Elle... Also being sort of uh, using our powers for, uh, what was the, what was the word you used? Not destruction, but. Um, was it protection? Or, or yeah, or protection or, or restoration. Restoration. Yeah, yeah. yeah, restorative. Yeah, I think that that might do it. All right, we're rolling it. We've already had an eight. We've already had a nine. 
four. We, we could talk about Karen again if you want. She's just it's that I think it's the hair, but it could be the eyes. It might be it might be just be the whole package, Steve. I it's possible it's just the whole package. It's and I think it's the underappreciation that you that you sense. I do think I th- I think that Ted has underestimated what he's got, and I feel like maybe that leaves me a little opening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number four is Mike and Dustin. Lucas storms off and says he's going to the gate alone. Mike and Dustin discuss girls, jealousy, and friendship while riding bikes. As they look for Elle in the woods, they find the school bullies instead. They get chased by the bullies who have a knife. They catch Dustin and tell Mike to jump off a cliff. Mike jumps. Elle saves the day by levitating Mike and breaking the bully's arm. So we've talked about this a little bit. I like this scene a lot on the bikes where Dustin kind of gets his turn to play the adult. In fact, this whole episode, I right. think Dustin is playing the adult. I think he's kind of taken over the, the adult role from Lucas, who's probably too blind by anger or whatever it is, feeling of being betrayed to actually act like an adult. Mm-hmm. And Dustin, who was kind of comic relief before, has kind of taken on that role of let me be your narrator here and tell you what's really happening in your life uh, which i think mike needs he's your best friend right yeah i mean i don't know it's fine i get it i didn't get here until the fourth grade he had the advantage of living next door but none of that matters what matters is that he is your best friend and then this girl shows up and starts living in your basement and all you ever want to do is pay attention to her that's not true yes it is and you know it and he knows it but no one ever says anything until you both start punching and yelling at each other like goblins with intelligence scores of zero. Now everything's weird. He's not my best friend. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, he is, but so are you. And so is Will. Can't have more than one best friend. Says who? Says logic. Why well, call bull on your logic? Because you're my best friend, too. Okay. When you got kids kind of playing adult roles, it can feel forced at times. But this feels pretty good because it does. I mean, when you're a kid, it basically you're doing everything you can to be to do impersonate an adult anyway. Well, and I like that um, Dustin. I, we get a little backstory here. We get the backstory that well, Mike and Lucas were friends first. They were friends longer, and they live right next to each other. So we're learning that really, Dustin is sort of the third wheel in this relationship until now Mm -hmm. and dustin has the he's got the opportunity to kind of jump rank here right because lucas is on the outs and he could totally get in to you know that second spot and in mike's heart instead he chooses to call it like he sees it and says look lucas is jealous and that's what's happening here and you're too stupid to see it, but that's exactly what's happening. And that's such a true scenario, right? I mean, because um, I mean, you and you and I met, and I was like, you had relationship with the friends that I was becoming friends with already, and so I was kind of the new guy whenever we would all get together. And I, I kind of, in most cases, I always felt like I was the new guy. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, and so the, the the new guy syndrome, where you're always trying to fit in with the group. And then once you get in there, you're in there, right? I mean, but you're, there's always that, it, it always exists. There feels like there's a pecking order or a hierarchy. And that's what makes this, I think the 
adding that backstory does a lot more too for the Lucas uh, departure. Yeah, um, that's right. Because I think it, it does sort of frame it in kind of a, another way where, you know, you, you kind of envision there was this, this Mike Lucas connection and the additions of Will and the additions of Dustin mm-hmm. and the, now the addition of L and it's the well, idea it's of the being like, okay. of L that changes everything. It's, it's like, you're finally old enough to have a girl in the group, which that would have been unthinkable before, right? Right. But not everyone's going to be ready for that transition at the same time. Because you introduce the girl into the group, it means that you're in a different life stage. And it means that you're not going to be able to continue to live in that security of that sort of like, he and I are best friends. And so it's an unassailable fact, right? Right. It just, it's not secure anymore. Because what, so what takes precedent at this age? Is it the girlfriend or the best friend? And I think that that's a really weird thing to navigate at that age. For sure. Because it's hard to go back. Yeah. So Dustin wants to go back for sure. And I think he's using like, you know, the old rules and, but we kind of see the writing on the wall here. They're, They're not going back. They're not going back. Right. Anyway, very well done. All on bikes, riding down this, an empty street on bikes, having that transitional conversation. I thought that was very well done. Well, then the bike at that age. I mean, I, I don't know how, I'd be honest. I mean, like your kids are probably older for bikes, but I mean, man, bikes were everything. Because they were freedom. Well, and living in a, living in a neighborhood, right? Like your friendship. I mean, that's the fascinating thing about friendship, right? Friendship is is logistics is everything right I mean, well before it's before uh, the internet right if you want to have you, any kind of social connection at all you either need someone that lives within walking distance but as soon as you got that bike and the freedom that that bike allows your friend group can expand right so there's yeah so the, the bike allows for for freedom allows for the expansion of the friend group it allows for escape it allows you guys to move out of a different area so you, bikes bikes man i mean just you knew where your friends were by the pile of bikes exactly <laughs> and the idea of like getting a, oh you got to get this bike it's lighter or you know oh you're still using uh you know foot brakes what are you a baby you're still wearing corduroys you know like <laughs> The bike becomes like a, a, a an opportunity for for kind of a, a class system, mm-hmm. and um, and if you didn't have, I mean, I don't know how many times you did it, but I, I felt like it was once a week or s- at least I would be on someone's handles or someone would be on my handles. Right, you, know, you could get three people on a bike if it was the right kind of bike. Right, if somebody had pegs, if, if someone had pegs, I mean, you were basically a caravan. It was like a minivan. Yes, yeah, so the bikes were so such a. I mean, again, I like to think that people are, or kids are still doing bikes like that, but I don't know. And, and it's all about neighborhoods. It's all about where you live, and you know. And that was the funny thing about, and that's what's kind of special about their friend group, right? Is they all get along really well. But it brings you back to your friend groups and go, okay, well, I had friends that I lived close to, but we didn't always maybe like the same things. But you started to like that thing just by virtue of just well, that's what they're into. You know, yeah. if you had more athletic friends, then they there there was definitely going to be more basketball or or more football being played. If you had friends that were into video games, well, we're all going to go to the house and play video games, right? And like, and that's what's so cool about this particular season too is this is uh, you know, before like the home video game is really a thing, right? Like it's it's pretty early, mm-hmm. and so the, and how much different when the Nintendo showed up on the scene. That was it, just 
everything's different. We would ride our bikes to go into somebody's house and stay. Right. And once the Nintendo was going, it could be ours. That's right. Uh, all right. I'm going to roll it. And number two. This is Harrington and friends. Steve and friends drive to Nancy's house. Steve climbs up her window and sees Jonathan comforting her. The crew spray paints Nancy's new status as a slut on the movie marquee. Nancy tracks him down in the alley. Steve confronts Nancy about having Jonathan in her room. When Nancy can't convincingly explain why Jonathan was there, Steve starts a fight with Jonathan. Jonathan gets arrested, and the crew runs off. All right. So last week we were talking a little bit about Steve kind of presenting as maybe not just sort of a superficial bad guy, right? And then this episode, he's totally a bad guy. Like, in the language of movie storytelling, Steve is popular. He's rich. He's got the popular friends who are all kind of douchey. And so he reads as that sort of high school bad guy. And then in this episode, he's not even really doing much, even if he's not using the spray can. He's not doing much to dissuade the other kids from doing the whole spray can business. And he holds a certain center of gravity. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so... Knowing that he has the ability to, because he he has like singularly has the ability to stop this. On top of that, all right, so it's all in place, and so that when Jonathan is trying to walk away, and he's saying horrible things about Jonathan's family, there's no question in your mind like this is probably like Steve Harrington's worst episode. He right. is like classic high school villain in this episode. Okay. So then they get in a fight, and clearly Jonathan is the good guy. You know, he's a complex character or whatnot. He shouldn't have taken the photos, but he's the good guy. There's no question about it. And Steve's a bad guy. And at the end of the day, at the end of this episode, I was thinking, I don't know if this is forgivable. Like, How are right. they going to get me to like this guy later on? Like, He was spray painting that Nancy's a slut, or he even if it wasn't him, he was condoning it. Yeah, and I was thinking kind of the same thing, and it's like, because I... Because looking back on these shows and you remember how you feel about Steve Harrington later, it was like you still even even when he's early on and you're not really supposed to like him. Yeah. You're like, yeah, no, he's no, but he's fine. Right. He's fine. He's still kind of superficial and dumb or whatever, but he's sort of in this one down position in later seasons. Right. So you kind of feel for him a little bit. Maybe it's kind of like a Theon. Theon gets tortured kind of thing. Right. But I after this episode I thought, "Oh, I can't forgive this guy. This guy's evil to the core." So, it's I'll be really interested to see if how I feel about Steve at the end of this rewatch. Yeah, I'm I'm curious too because I did have a, a very similar reaction. I was like, "Oh, this guy, well, it's not great." But then again, I think we talked about this too. It's like, well, remembering, you know, and and this is a what, a 17-year-old? Right. Yeah. You know, and it's it's real easy to forget some of that, right? And to and to then you to start handing out some degree of allowances because now you're getting caught up in sort of the bigger story, right? So we're we're really invested in what's really going on and why that's such a big deal. But he has no idea. None of these people know the gravity of what's going on. They're just like they're just kind of asshole kids. 
and we're now shifting, you know, our maybe a sense of urgency and what we're what we're seeing and what we're watching. And now now he's also he's complicating things in a different way because this action not only is cruel and to people that we care about in the show, but now Jonathan is having to deal with police stuff. And that complicates Joyce's yeah. situation, which is going to further complicate Harper's Hopper's situation. So it becomes one of those things where it's like like ah, we don't have time for this you know so it's a different level of tension that we feel too because it, it and that's what's i think so effective about it is that it's this dramatic thing that in in and of itself is already dramatic but then when it's considered in like the larger scheme of trying to solve some sort of a supernatural uh mystery it's it's even more amplified it's funny it's a, the this this whole episode begins with this very horror Jonathan and Nancy in the woods and and Nancy narrowly escaping the monster. And that's how it begins. But it almost ramps up to this whole bully situation. You got the, these parallel bully situations with Jonathan's dealing with Harrington's friends and Ella's dealing with, uh, you know, the school bullies that are trying to get Mike to jump off the cliff and it's the, and the stakes are super high with these with these kids. Yeah. Like I mean, they're talking. These kids are threatening to to cut out another one's teeth. <laughs> Mike, I mean, Mike, ju- that's, Mike that's jumps a, that's off pretty of a cliff. He, he's probably gonna right. die. He's probably gonna die. That's an intense sequence, right? So it's so there was an in, an interesting element of this. All of a sudden, Hawkins, Indiana becomes upside down it yeah, becomes right. horrific yeah so so if if you know and so you start to see this this different reaction right like you have um you know the which brings the embrace at the end with with dustin and l and and mike it's like okay i think maybe we only have each other in whichever world we're in and and jonathan you know, obviously being pushed to the edge and, you know, troubled youth and all that stuff. But like he was picked on, his camera was broken and he just sort of kind of moused his way away yeah, initially. Right. But this is different. So, so you know, obviously he's got his brother, but he's all, but he's like, I've seen it. <laughs> I know what we're up against. And I'm up against, if I have the courage to go up against this monster, I'm not going to let Steve Harrington win the day. All right, here we go. We got a one again. And that, Steve, is a goocher. Oh, wow. We never, and I never even got to talk about the crocheted pillow that Jonathan tried to lay on it in Nancy's room. <laughs> what was the pillow all about? It was just crocheted pillow. And it was just very, there was, when he lays down on that crocheted pillow, I'm like, man, we've all been there. It's one of those decorative pillows. And it's like, we've all, I've been in one of those sleepovers that just no one was prepared for. <laughs> it's the Eggo Waffle of pillows. Oh, Jesus, man, that's a good Our cousin podcast, Cocoons of Horror, this week revisits 16 Candles. 16 Candles is John Hughes's directorial debut, and a lot of the teenage interactions in Stranger Things play on John Hughes tropes. So here's a short excerpt from our other podcast, Cocoons of Horror. But first, a moment for capitalism. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. 
Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Our coverage of Hot D, Fire and Blood, and the 1980s Shogun miniseries continues. But then on Tuesday, for the first time in 35 years, we asked a question. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Hop aboard the train to Toontown as we revisit this incredible blending of live action and animation to see if it still holds up all this time later. Then on Wednesday, we get our first look at Blake Crouch's mind-bending sci-fi series, Dark Matter. First two episodes drop simultaneously on Apple TV Plus, and we'll have a pair of podcasts quantumly linked ready for you to observe. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Here are the weekly highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Apple TV is releasing a new series based on Blake Crouch's novel, Dark Matter. Aaron and I are big fans of his work, so we're picking up the new show on day one. Join us this Wednesday for the preview podcast. The Shogun Limited series might be over, but that doesn't mean our Shogun coverage has to end. We've got the wrap-up podcast releasing this Tuesday, where we'll consider all your feedback and final thoughts on the series. And because we like the show so much, we decided to go all the way back to 1980 to cover the first TV adaptation of the novel. Do what you can to find a copy and join us this Thursday for the first of our four-part podcast on the 1980 Shogun miniseries. And finally, the latest first-run movie, The Fall Guy, features Emily Blunt and Ryan Gosling. He's a stuntman tasked with finding the star of his ex-girlfriend's movie when he suddenly goes missing. Is it a rom-com? Yes. Does that mean I'll automatically hate it? Not if the trailer lives up to its promise. Join us for the podcast on Bald Move Pulp this Thursday night. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app.
We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R. R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeney. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. say this for john hughes when i was 10 years old my first viewing of weird science there were very few movies that i after i finished the movie i thought that was the best movie i've ever seen <laughs> yeah that's like and a 10, year, 10 old year old me 10 year old me saw weird science and afterwards i just thought that's it that's the best that how could you make a better movie than this, this is this is the height of culture <laughs> this is the height of culture maybe the height of my life <laughs> All right, we're going to play a game here. This is the uh, who's the worst person in this movie. And if I get it wrong, will you play a gong noise? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, worst person, you've got the 16-year-old sophomore who ogles the naked senior girl in the locker room. That's option number one. Mm-hmm. Option number two. The freshman who sexually harasses the sophomore girl and then charges a dollar a pop to see her underwear. <laughs> okay. That's option number two. Option number three, the senior boy who basically trades his girlfriend to a budding sex offender. That's option number three. Number four, the grandmother who gropes her granddaughter. <laughs> that would be option four. Or option five, the entire population of suburbs Chicago for their <laughs> pervasive racism. <laughs> so you're Ooh, that is which, a fun game. <laughs> which which door do you want to go through, Steve? Um, I'm not gonna put the grandma. I mean, look, grandma, she's a visual learner, right? <laughs> this is not, this is not where you want to go. <laughs> this is the this is the end. 
This is the end of you, Steve. <laughs> You're saying that of the entire group, she's the most justified? Well, I mean, you've given me kind of a, uh, an odd group, right? I'm I didn't ask not who's let... the best. I well, asked who's the worst. Right, so I'm starting to eliminate and go, okay. okay right, you're giving bad. the grandma a pass. I'm giving she, the... It's very well that she could be struggling with dementia. So, <laughs> sure. Old people steal. On Cocoons of Horror, old people get a pass. <laughs> exactly.